Well, I don't know if it's so much a sermon today or if it would fall under the category of a testimony. I think most of you realize that uh, if you know anything about your pastor at all, he's busy, it's fast-paced, it's a heavy schedule, and uh, I think most of you know that, that know your pastor, and I've been told more than once I need to slow down. I've been uh, told, are you going to stop and smell the roses? And I always tell them, I live my life right in the middle of the roses, contrary to what you think. Because I've got some roses, and that's my family, and I spend a lot of time with them. I can be gone, but when I get about two hours from the house, and I've been gone three or four days, listen, more times than not, they're over at the house ready to greet past Paul. Now you say, well, what about your kid? doesn't matter about the kids. I tell the grandkids, you, your mom and dad can come if they want. They don't have to. But this week, the testimony is uh, in the middle of all those very, very busy weeks. I don't know if I've ever had one that was more of a roller coaster. Many of you have heard me say one of the toughest things about being a pastor is you're hurting with this one, celebrating with this one, Hurting again, celebrating again, hurting, 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 celebrating. I mean, a baby's born, it's the greatest time of their life. Uh, Someone dies in their family, it's the worst time of their life. Somebody built a new house, somebody lost a house. Wow. That's the roller coaster of emotions. It leaves you often feeling like Shania Twain sang about. Man, I feel like a woman. Because my emotions just go like this. So sometimes the weeks have me feeling like a woman, emotional wreck. But just to give you, Monday was no different. I I, I thought about on the way over here, I'm going to back up to Sunday. It was Truett's birthday party, so I left here. Maddie, she leaves with me on Sundays, most Sundays. Whether that's to go feed the cows, that's her day to go with Paul. I'm riding with you. I'm leaving with you. And so last Sunday, that was I'm riding with you. Where was we going? We was going to the birthday party for Jesus, or birthday party, birthday party for Truett. And uh, that was skating and bless Truett's heart. His other grandparents and great-grandparents won't get on skates. And so I had to, uh, got physically crippled in the dodgeball game. They play games out there, and I was trying to win the dodgeball tournament. Took a very bad spill. Bad enough, my little daughter looked at me and said, Dad, are you all right? I mean, I went in the air, turned a complete flip, and come down on my... I don't know if it was my bad hip or my good hip. It was the hip that was replaced, and man, did it hurt. And uh, I just crawled off over to the side. And told everybody I was fine when really I didn't know if I was or not. So that was Sunday. Monday rolled around. Monday is a is a day that usually during the whole week I've got uh, text and phone calls from pastors, revivals, David, Kelly, Kayla, stuff that needs to be decided. So a lot of Mondays there's staff meetings, not every Monday, but there's usually a day that 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 we kind of make sure everybody's dotted and crossed for the week. And so when Monday rolls around, I, I 
got to speak to a widow about her husband's funeral, which I'll be doing Tuesday. I've got uh, the Valentine banquet and trying to make sure that everybody knows what's really just find out what my part is. I mean, they've got it all scheduled and and I had to get back with a lot of people on revivals. And that comes after sending out the 14 and 24. It used to be 12 and 24, but I can't count no more, so it's 14 and 24. And then reading my part of my devotion that I'm a part of that I received from Trenton, and then Trenton thinks we ought to be physically fit, not just spiritually fit. So then you do your physical workout. So that all happens before you ever get to leave, and then you've got to meet these deadlines, make these calls. And then if you see or heard the announcements, we've got an elder that's going to be 85 years old, and, and we're going to have a... Little celebration here, but I really, because of uh, his daughter calling me and us setting that up, none of the staff knew about that, and that's coming up on March 3rd. And I thought, well, me and Kim, James's daughter, we've set all this up. I've scheduled the singer to be in here. Probably ought to maybe let the secretary know what's going on March 3rd. And so, uh, for sure, had to get over here and get that done. So, in the midst of that, all Monday, I realized we had some major deadlines for our cattle registration. Name 40 bulls that start with L's. I mean, all this stuff has to be in registrations and all this. So I text Reagan, my daughter-in-law, who handles all that on the computer, and I said, listen, we got a deadline to meet, and I've got a busy week, and we got to name 40-something bulls. She said, what's the letter? I said, it's L. We've got to register some. We've got to yada, yada, yada. And so she texts me back in just a minute. She said, Trey would be glad to fix something to eat, and we can work on that after we eat. So that's a good way of me getting treated from Trey's cooking as well as getting some of that done. So that was my Monday, and I knew that Tuesday I had this funeral. It was a crazy Monday. But Tuesday is our days to keep Truett and Taya. Thursdays is our days to keep Mighty. So I know I've got a funeral Truett's had a birthday party. He's got uh, saddlebags. He's got all kinds of toys. And because the other grandparents are fuddy-duddies and don't play with him, I'm... So I know Tuesday's got to have some major playtime. And so when he walks in, he's got his saddlebags over his shoulders. He walks in with his hat pulled down, ears sticking straight out. Walks in my office, I'm trying to prepare for a funeral, I'm trying to get everything done. And Truett says, Pass Paul, we got to get busy. I want to rope the dummy today, I want to ride Molly today, I want to put my saddlebags on my saddle, I want to ride Shadow. And then I was thinking, man, you could just get off and sit under a tree and eat lunch. He's four. I turn around to him and I just simply say, now listen. Passpole's got a funeral. Passpole's got a meeting in Shodo after the funeral. And when I leave here, I'm not going to be back. You'll be going home before I get back. And I'm going to tell you something. He backed up and he looked at me. And he said, Passpole, you've got too much to do. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, huh? And I thought, man, I wish it wasn't true, but I really do. I'm, about, I'm thinking about turning down funerals on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's grandkids' days. If you die, make sure you don't do it on one of those days. So with him telling me I had too much to do, I've done what I've always done, tried to do it with my kids as well as my grandkids. 
I tried to still make sure they got fit into the day. So immediately I jumped up and I said, you better get your boots on. You better pull your hat down. You better come on if we're going to rope the dummy. We're going to get some snacks in the saddlebags and we're going to ride. And so we took off and we got to the barn and the horseshoe, oh Hank, country's cornbread was there. Good morning, Robbie. And I said, good morning, Hank. He said, what you got going on today? I said, evidently, according to Truett, too much. But I said, I do have a funeral and I do have a meeting. And I'm just going to tell you, Hank, I'm way behind. And let me tell you, I'd already heard from out of the mouth of babes. That's biblical. Now I'm fixing to hear from somebody that's got some gray hair. That is wisdom. And I'm in between them two. And I just got through telling him, I've got a lot to do, and I'm way behind. Old Hank looked at me and had that rasp in his hand. And he pointed that rasp at Truett. Hat sucked down, ears straight out. Saddlebags on his shoulder with his little sister standing behind him. Pray for my granddaughter. I have put cow manure on it, unbeknownst to any of the other family. I've tried everything I can. I can't get her to quit sucking that thumb. And he pointed that rasp at them two kids. And he said, it don't look to me like you're way behind. And he pointed that rasp at them two grandbabies. And he said, it looks to me like you're way, way ahead. Now you think about what this guy just out of the mouth of babes. Past Paul, now you got too much going on. And I think I'm way, way behind. And a man with gray hair says, you ain't way behind. You're way, way ahead. So let me tell you what. We hurried up. We saddled Molly. And we went and roped the dummy. And I knew we had to hurry, so I told him down at the arena, when you get done, get to the barn. Now, most people, my wife's one of them, that says, you let him do too much on his own. I said, when you get done, I'll be at the barn. And when I took off on the RTV, it wasn't long. I seen him mount up and take off his little head just to bobbing. He met me at the barn, and it was time to switch saddles from the little pony to Shadow, and it was time for him to get some snacks out of that backpack and so on. But I was hurrying, and I was trying to give him as much time as I could. But come about 12.30, I knew I was going to have to be leaving. It was funeral time. So I turned the grandkids off to Nana, and they come walking in the house, and I was walking out of my house at 12.40. Funeral's at 1 o'clock. It's 18 minutes to the funeral home. You may not be fine with that, but that's how I roll. And when I pulled up in front of that funeral, I could not believe how many cars was at this funeral. See, I didn't really know this man. 
probably I'm going to say maybe the third or fourth biggest funeral I've ever preached. And I've preached some that had huge attendances. And I really didn't know this man all that well. But I knew when I pulled in, he was quite a man, evidently. Now, I'd been told, Past Paul, you got too much going on. I had been told, I'm not way behind, I'm way ahead. Now, when you're pondering on what come out of the mouth of babes and what come out of a gray-haired man of wisdom that's probably got some regrets about life, you're pondering on them, and now you find yourself standing behind a casket. And you find yourself looking at grandbabies. Their grandpa's in the casket. You find yourself looking at kids. Their daddy's in the casket. You find yourself looking at a wife. She's now a widow. And it's hard to preach. Because you're thinking, when I'm there, are they going to think I had too much to do? Are they going to realize how far ahead was? I mean, it just causes you to ponder just a little bit. So after that funeral, I come over to prior and a friend of mine we went and got a deadline to get some cattle out of a place on March 1st tried to make sure we was ready for that and Tuesday night when I got home now listen to this listen this I'm preaching to you women for just a minute my wife when I got ready to lay my head down on Tuesday night, posed this question. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm a pastor. I have no idea who's going to die, who's going to be sick. I don't know. I've got a lot of cattle. I don't know what's going to run some of the wean calves through the fence. I don't know who's going to run through a fence tonight drunk. And I've got to go fix the fence. You of all people, why are you asking me what I'm going to do tomorrow? I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. Maybe you guys' life ain't like that. Mine is. I can have all the plans I want, but some of you guys are going to throw a wrench in that by dying. Something's going to run through my wing kids and they're going to take out a quarter of a mile of fence and you're going to ruin my day because I've got to fix fence. So she asked me what I'm going to do Wednesday. And so I tells her, I'm going to go visit some shut-ins. I'm going to get ready to preach. I'm a pastor. I preach on Wednesday nights. I'm going to lead the prayer meeting. So other than that, i I got to go to Nowata and check on some cattle that's up there on a partnership deal. And, uh, so that's what I'm planning on doing. Tuesday nights, everybody sticking with me? My phone rang at 420. Wednesday morning. Timmy Ross. I looked at it. Timmy Ross. I said, hello. He said, are you awake? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. He said, is anybody living at June's house? That's my grandmother. Tomorrow will be one year ago that she passed away. Tomorrow, February 19th. 
He says, anybody living in June's house? I said, no. He's a dispatcher for the county, and his next words is, it's engulfed in flames. So I thanked him for the call. I hung up. I called my dad. He was asleep. Told him what was going on, and so Don and I just kind of was talking about it and the sadness of it and yada, yada. So it come time that you could start doing the things that you needed to do with the public. See, you get up early, you can do the things that you need to do in the private Bible study, yada, yada. And then there comes a time you can start making those phone calls and this and that. And I make a phone call to check on one of the people that's very near and dear to my heart going through some tough times right now. And when I got off the phone with him, man, to my surprise, he was doing great. It was just a praise report. So you went from a phone call that was devastating to hallelujah, maybe we're getting somewhere in this battle. And uh, then I finally leave the house going to make this visit on the shut-ins and I meet the hired hand coming in on the dirt road and I mean he flies up beside me stops roll down the window and he says can we can we can we and all of a sudden he yanks his head off and he begins to pray to God I just yeah we can and I just yank my and I listen to him pour his heart out broken hearted right up there on the gravel road and I'm thinking man his heart's breaking and I assured him you know, it's going to be all right. So I left there, and I'm thinking, man, it's pretty early in the morning, and we've already had devastation, praise report, devastation, hurt. And so I'm on my way, the visits between Adair and Pryor, and I decide, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop by my grandma's house, see what the fire done. And so when I turned up and went up that hill, my cousin was there. And when I got out, wasn't much standing. I mean, burnt to the ground, a few walls, no roof at all, just partial walls. And I kind of got tickled when he turned around, and he said, well, Randy wasn't here to save it this time. Well, that immediately took me back to the memory of that house catching a fire when I was eight years old. My brother was 10. He and I are the oldest two grandkids. And When John said that, it immediately took me back to that day when my great-grandma was there. She just had her leg removed. Under my grandma's care was my great-grandma. We had three little cousins that my grandma babysitted, and then you had the two oldest and one of the wisest grandkids. And we was in the house, and my grandmother says, Robbie, go check on your brother. So I walk out, I look around the, off the porch, and Randy is spraying water on the house. I turn around, go back in. She says, what was he doing? I said, spraying water on the house. She shook her head, said, get out there and tell him quit spraying the house. I turn around, go back out. She don't realize she's interrupting something very important for an eight-year-old kid. I go back out there, and I, turn, I remember stepping on that porch... And I looked around there and I said, Meemaw said, quit spraying water on the house. Now, you'd have to know my brother. He turns, and he'd been washing an old boat of my grandpa's. He turns and says, all right, but it's going to burn down. And starts spraying water. He's your commissioner, folks. <laughs> he starts spraying water back on the boat. 
I, I'm eight years old. I didn't check the fire out. I went back in. He quit I said, yeah, but he said the house is on fire. She said, well, it, I said, I said it was. And I'll never forget my grandma. I've never seen her run. She took off running. And she come back in there, and she said, the house is on fire. And I can remember, this is where my memory went back when he said that. I can remember an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old trying to get a one-legged great-grandma off a porch with no ramp. And I can remember my grandma saying, get her in the car, and Robbie, you take her to, to Sandy's. I'm eight. Thank, thank God that farm kids can drive. But when me and my 10-year-old brother got her loaded in that 70 model, you'd have to ask that. I think it was a Malibu. I don't know what it was. I know this. It was way different than a pickup. That's all I'd ever drove, and I couldn't see over the dash. And how nerve-wracking it was when I was meeting like eight fire trucks coming down that road. Very nerve-wracking. And when I got back to my grandma's, those three little cousins was now perched up in the boat. And my brother said, help me. And I said, help you what? And he said, get these kids out of the way. He's 10, I'm 8. Get the kids out of the way. And I'll never forget us taking that boat. And I said, what are we going to do? And he said, shove it off the hill. <laughs> and I'll never forget me and him shoving that boat off the hill. And, and that boat was doing this. And those three little cousins... So can you only imagine the smile that come to my face when John walked around there and said, well, Randy wasn't here to put it out. The house partially burned then and was built back. So I headed off that hill to go make that visit. And my grandma, she had dementia. And I was headed to home where I knew that dementia was going to be in its height. I went to the cross. That's there where Thurman and Loretta Hibbert live. Both suffer from dementia. You go visit them and you know good and well within 30 seconds of you walking out, they don't ever remember you being there. And I sat in there because my grandma had it and I listened to Thurman time and time again look at me and he said, now me and you go way back, don't we? And I said, way back to First Baptist Locust Grove where you was a deacon and I was a newborn babe in Christ. Yeah, yeah, we go way back. And he looked at me and you just got to go along with it even though it's heartbreaking. He said, now, now listen to me, I don't remember your name but me and you go way back. And he said, I'm just telling you, we're getting up there in age pretty good. You just go along with it. I said, well, how old are we getting to be? I think we're up there in our mid-90s. I said, we've been around. You know, and you laugh at that, and you pray with them, but when you walk out, it just breaks you. Because he was a deacon at First Baptist Locust Grove. He did sit right here and absorb the preaching like a sponge. I went on to know what and on the way I got a call for a guy asking about answering the call to evangelism what do you need to do talk to him a day or two before that I got there and I walked through the cattle and looked them over and we tried to make some 
plans and figure out what we're doing there. When I left there, I got another phone call. And it was the praise report of that morning and how good my buddy was doing. And when I answered the phone, I heard nothing but weeping and crying. A cry for help. I need some help. Listen to me. Anxiety had hit major. And man, you just feel helpless. You wish you could be standing beside It ain't no different than trying to get a two- or three-year-old kid that's been hurt to calm down. That's what I felt like. And finally on the phone, I said, listen to me. Breathe. That's how this conversation went. And finally, the sobbing start stopped, and there was some deep breaths. And I said, now listen to me. Not only listen to me, but know this. And I said over and over to him, it's going to be all right. I assure you. It's going to be all right. So that phone call went on. And so if you'd have been at Telequah Wednesday night, you'd have watched me come in with a hoodie, coming there on my pants, no Bible, no notebook. Because when I left there, I fully intended on going back. But because of how the day went, I never had time to make it back. So I would head to the pulpit without a Bible, without a notebook. That's a little nerve-wracking, and I'd head to the pulpit a little bit concerned about somebody. Well, what are they going to think with Rob? He's in a hoodie. He's in Calmanur on his... But it just was what it was. And so you preach without your Bible. You preach without your notebook. And by the way, if you've been a preacher for 20 years, you can't preach one message without a Bible notebook. You're probably in trouble. I've also forgot it at a funeral once. Had all the notes and everything. And Boy, sometimes you just leave it laying on your desk. And it's a little unnerving when you head to the pulpit without that Bible, without those notebooks. But, you know, it makes you wonder if that ain't why God said, hide the word in your heart. You never know when you're going to have to preach without your Bible, without your notebooks. So Wednesday get through Wednesday, and this is going to surprise you. Me and the wife get home. She was cooking all day. This is Wednesday night. What she asked me Tuesday night? What are you doing tomorrow? And man, did I ever have any idea what I was going to be doing Wednesday? If I had any idea, I wouldn't even got out of bed. We lay down Wednesday night. You know what she asked me, Dave? What are you doing tomorrow? I just want to say, just let me absorb today for a minute. And I looked at her and I said, I don't have no idea. Can I remind you I'm a pastor? And remind you I got cattle? She said, you got grandkids. And I've got to go to Tulsa tomorrow. I've got a full day, and it's Mottie's day. And I said, well, listen, it, there's a lot of difference in a potty-trained grandkid and one that's not. I know she's on the verge, but we struggle. She poops her pants. It's a bad deal. I mean, I could put her up for adoption and sign the papers myself. She said, well, she's going to have to go with you. 
My, my dad's got a portable potty that they take on camping trips. It's set between the seats of Big Bird. It needs to be emptied, Mom and Dad. So she crawls in. She's all fired up about going. Now, this is Marty. Why are we driving Big Bird? Get hay. Why are we getting hay? Feed cows. Why do them cows eat hay, Pastor Paul? Because they got to have something to eat, and it's winter, and the frost kills the grass, and when the frost kills the grass, it don't have no protein in it, and they've got to have a certain amount of protein. And, I mean, it depends if they're lactating. The cattle in the back, they're lactating. They need more protein. And Now, listen, Marty, the kids, that's why we spring calve most of our cows because they don't have to have near as much protein when they're non-lactating. And, you know, that's why we're trying to create the breeds that we're trying to create here at 5P Farms because we want less inputs of cattle because even though cattle are at a record high, the Expenses are at a more of a record high, and that's why we're doing what we do. Now, how many of you believe that's the answer I give her? <laughs> After about nine questions of why and what, I said, Hey, Marty, what, Pastor Paul? I said, You want to watch Paw Patrol on Pastor Paul's phone? <laughs> I mean, you can only answer so many questions of what, why, how. And so I handed her that phone. And, and I'm going to tell you, Marty is so good to watch Paw Patrol. But when I have a phone call, she'll slip it over across the shifter and say, Pastor Paul, you're getting a call. And she handed that to me a couple times on the way to Tulsa. And, and I took those calls and would give it right back to her. We got out. The tractor where we was loading hay didn't have a buddy seat. So she was on my lap. She would operate the shuttle shifter forward and reverse when you wasn't ready at times and it would throw you above the she would do that and I just couldn't help but think when it was taking me nine times longer to load that load of hay I couldn't help but look down at her her little fiery attitude and how she's wired and think I'm not getting behind I'm way ahead can't explain stuff to those little ones. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm scared to death with the girls. I step around the trailer to relieve myself. Just try to, I don't know how to do this. And she steps around there and spots me from behind. What are you doing, Pastor Paul? I said, I'm peeing. Her pants comes down. She said, I won't pee like you. I said, you can't. <laughs> And I'm trying to get stuff stopped before she tries. Golly. You're not way behind. Not way behind. So I load that hay and we head back and she's wound up. And I may be partly to cause of that because I'm buying lots of bug juice. And uh, I said, now it's late enough we're going to go by. Granny and Pawpaws, and, and I think you're going to stay there. Your mom and dad's going to pick you up there. So when I pull in there, she's good with that. But I want to go with you. I said, no, well, I think they're going to be here. And I said, they'd have to drive all the way to our house. And, yeah, well, I get there, and I take her in. And Truett, he comes out. He's got his cat pistol and his holster on. He said, Pass Paul, I'm going to go with you. Monty turns around and says, I'm going to go with you. I'll go with you, Pass Paul. So i got three. I'm in a semi. And I promise you, I'm going to preach, and it's going to be way shorter than this. 
Because you got to remember, I've been pondering. I had out of the mouth of babe, and I had a wise man say something to me in the middle of this chaos. So I'm trying to figure out, now what do I do with three that want to go? I'm in a semi. i got one seat. i got a load of hay to unload. And true, it ain't given in one ounce. I'm going past Paul. We need to get a horse back. And I can help you unload that hay. And he's pleading his case. And Marty, she's sitting there, but I want to go. She ain't figured out how to plead her case, but she just wants to go. And then the little one, if you ever take both of them, she just don't understand why the little one don't get to go. But the Lord intervened. Marty got sidetracked with some toys and asked her little cousin, Taya, who's bigger than her, to come and play with her. And I said, are you guys good playing with the toys? And they both assured me, yes, Pastor Paul. They give me a kiss, and that was their blessing. They spoke their blessing to me to go ahead and take Truett and go on. So I take Truett. We unload the hay. He wants to get a horse back. He's got his pistol, and I'm worried about the pistol getting him thrown when the cap goes off. Thanks be the Lord, he fired all these bullets before we ever got on the horse. So all we had was a clicking gun. But we had weaned calves to take care of, and you think you're way behind, and I just kept watching. I thought about Marty asleep in that truck. I thought about Marty in the day that I took the time, and she watched us castrate the bulls. <laughs> and I'm on my way to Colorado, and my wife texts me on the way to Colorado because we'd castrated some bulls. And the whole time we was up there, guess what Marty was doing? Pastor Paul, what are you doing? I said, I'm castrating. I'm cutting the... The bull's balls out. They're going to be steers. She had sat there, and, the, and then my wife, it's just us three, my wife says, I need to call Marty and Joyce. They always want calf fries. So she calls. She said, start putting them in the bucket. I mean, there ain't but nine head, but they was nice to eat in size, sure enough, good ones. And So she's putting them in the bucket, and now Marty's really got questions. Why are we putting those bull meatballs in the bucket? <laughs> and so Donna explains, and they load up after I'm headed to Colorado, and Donna sends me a text, and it's hilarious. Sends it to the family. She says, this is when you realize you're way ahead. Even though the whole morning you think you're behind, you've got a 12-hour drive in front of you, but this is what makes it worth it. You know you're way ahead. She said, on my way to take uh, the calf fries to Marty and Joyce, and Marty said, Nana, what are we doing? I said, well, we're going to take those uh, calf balls. I mean, that's just how we talk to them. I hope it don't corrupt them. It didn't do too bad with Trey, Trent, and Ashley. We've done the same thing. Some of you think, yeah, it did. Well, I'm... so <laughs> we're taking these calf balls to Marty and Joyce. How come? Well, they're going to clean and eat them. Uh, Marty said, Nana, that won't be good for them. And Nana turns around. This is what makes your day. This is why you're glad you took the time to do it. I'm driving along. I got 12 hours by myself, and I laughed, and I laughed. Because can you just see the little wheels turning in her mind? That's not going to be good for them. And Donna turned around and said, it'll be all right. And said, pretty soon she heard Marty chuckle in the back seat and said, bull meatballs. <laughs> And when you get that text, you realize 
what I done this morning didn't get me way behind. I may not get to Colorado till the wee hours of the morning, but so what? What's that worth? And so Friday comes around, we 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 Truett gets one calf at a time to the pen. He loves to go get the calves, the winged calves. And I say, Truett, bring the whole bunch at once. Pastor Paul, bring them one at a time, okay? And he goes and gets one calf, lopes it to the trough. Then he turns around and go gets, so I video him loping each calf to the trough. And then he says, okay, it's time to go see if we can find an old coyote. So we mount up. He's got his pistol on his side, and we lope. And when we got back to the barn, there was a whole herd of deer at the the back and Donna's still in Tulsa his mom and dad's gone it's just me and him I don't know what I'm going to fix him for supper so would he stay out there where we don't have to eat my thoughts he spots the deer he crawls up on a gate and I'm telling you if he shot one deer he shot 57 deer and they was no farther than the length of this building he's kept gunning them away on that and they don't leave for some reason. If you or I would be hunting them there wouldn't have been one and then he just pow pow this cap gun they're just looking at him they wouldn't fall. So Friday he calls me because he, he only had one cap gun. He ran out of bullets. So where's his mama in Tulsa, or his nana in Tulsa? So I call her. And I say, Nana, we need two more cap guns. She says, do you know what them cap guns cost? I said, it don't matter what they cost. We need two more cap guns. And I said, we need 50 or $75 worth of ammo also. Now, Truett's listening the whole time. I got her on speakerphone. And he says, yeah, Nana, we need two cap guns and lots of bullets. So when Nana comes in, he's already gone. So the next morning, I told him, I said, when you let, I said, call me in the morning. And uh, so right off the bat, he calls me, had a doctor's appointment, but I'm coming over. And I think, and I've got to play a trick on old Truett. So I went and got a pink unicorn. Now, I've got a lot to do Friday, but listen, I've been thinking about it. I'm way ahead, and I'm not going to miss these moments to do something. I go to the barn, and I found fishing line in my barn. I don't know who, how it got there, but I was so thankful it's there. And I tied about 30 foot of fishing line on a pink unicorn. And I set it on our coffee table, and I run that fishing line plumb over there to the kitchen. Truett comes in, his hat's pulled down, his ears are out. He's got his cap gun on. He said, do we got any bullets? And I said, we sure do. I said, load that up. And I told Miss Laura, I said, now I need you to video something. I said, I think the look on his face is going to be priceless. She said, what? I said, just get up. This is his babysitter. I said, just get over there and video. I loaded his gun. I said, Truett, shoot that pink unicorn right there. Now I've got a piece of fishing twine that nobody knows is there. He stick that cap gun off, pow, and when he did, I yanked that pink unicorn off, and it went off the back side of that table, and that boy's eyes got that big. I went and set it back up over there, and I mean, he's looking at that gun. I said, shoot it again. He put it out there, and he popped it, and I pulled it off, and he looked at that gun. He said, I guess this is real. Now, listen, the whole time I was doing that, tying fishing twine, looking for fishing twine, tying that on there, I want you to look up here. I wouldn't have took the time to do that had I not heard out of the mouth of babes. I've got too much to do because I want to make sure my grandkids don't think I've got too much to do that I'm not going to do with them. 
as much as my schedule had to on it, I still want to take time, 30, 40 minutes. Did it put me behind that day? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. But to play a trick on him because he's going to remember that fishing twine. He does well because once I showed him what I was doing, when his dad came to get him that night, he said, Pastor Paul, let's trick my dad with that pink unicorn and that fishing string. Huh? So Saturday rolls around. Let me tell you what my week was. Saturday rolls around. You've got to fix what's been broke. Equipment. <coughs> you got to feed enough on Saturday you don't feed on Sunday. So all of a sudden, there's not a Mahdi. There's not a Truett. There's nobody beside me. <coughs> and I've done something in that truck that I've tried to do ever since I heard him say it. His name's Jimmy V. He's a coach for North Carolina State, and he died of cancer at a young age. But just a few weeks before he died, Jimmy V said this. There's three things that a man ought to do every day. He ought to laugh. He ought to think. And when he thinks, it ought to move his emotion to tears. In other words, what Jimmy V said, and I took it to heart years ago, a man ought to laugh, a man ought to think, and a man ought to cry. And Jimmy V says, if you do those three things, listen to me. He said, you've had a heck of a day. And can I say to you, most of the day since I've heard that, I've tried to practice it. I've tried to laugh because a merry heart does good like medicine. I've tried to think because the Bible says we're to meditate and ponder on what we read. And when you think about what you've read, and you laugh, and you really ponder, let me tell you what it'll do more times than not. It'll move you to tears. And can I say, ever since I've heard that saying, and I've applied it to my life, I've had a whole bunch of heck of a days. Because I've laughed, I've thought, and I've cried. But I'm not sure I've done as much as I've done yesterday. Because of that week. Talking people off their butts. Talking people off the ledges. Ministering to people who've lost a loved one. A home where you don't, a house that you don't ever remember not being there burned to the ground. Just a few days from a year your grandma's being gone and you go sit in the home where there's dementia and it just kind of peels the scabs, huh? So if you met me yesterday and you saw me laughing and there wasn't nobody in there, I just thought something about the memories in my memory bank was hilarious. I laughed about bull meatballs. I laughed about a brother spraying <laughs> Okay, I'll quit, but the house is going to burn down. That <laughs> cause you chuckle. <laughs> Fastball, I'm going to shoot them deer. I'll be back in a minute. Just over and over, and I'd laugh. And then I'd think about how far ahead I was. Don't ever let the devil deceive you into thinking you're behind when you've got family, kids and grandkids beside you. 
when I thought about how far ahead I was. Young people, don't quit me because this message is going to be for you when I wrap it up. And then you might have met me when I had that solemn look on my face and probably what I was doing was just thinking. And then you might have met me when the tears were streaming off my cheeks because I was laughing, thinking, and now I'm crying. And yesterday was a heck of a day. I want you to listen. I share all of that. And I share it with the quote that Trenton gave us on our Kingdom Fit for Men devotion. A quote from John Wooden, late and great coach. Here's what he reminded his players. Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit, it's self-given. Be careful. I said all that I've said to you, and I've said it to you very careful. I do not say everything that I've said to brag on what Rob Pierce gets to experience. I said everything I said because I'm standing before you humbly thanking God for the blessings that he's brought into my life. How many times have I heard, Rob, you better slow down. But then I go look to the scriptures and God answers me differently. To whom much is given, much is expected. I'm one blessed man, folks. Because God has given me so much, you know what He's expecting? He's expecting a lot out of me. Sometimes the hired hand's got to break down and he can't fix the fence. I've got a million things to do and sometimes I have a pity party out there trying to get that done before a funeral. And God just says, that's the reason I've blessed you. You got to do stuff when you got to cram it in the window. You got to do stuff when you don't feel like it. You don't get to pick when something runs your calves through the fence. You don't get to pick when people die. You don't get to pick when a cow has trouble, Kevin. You don't get to pick that. I've given you a lot, so I expect a lot. So I say humbly to you today. God has blessed the guy standing before you. He's given me so much. And so I don't know if this is the year that I'll slow down. You think I don't ask God that often? When do I get to slow down? Ryan's going to help me. The, the guy that spoke at the Valentine's banquet last night was wanting me to come do revival in November. And I said, really, November's tough. And he said, well, it don't matter. Whatever month is, and Ryan just intervened. He's my new booking agent. Ryan said, every month's busy. Just pick one. Caitlin steps in and says, you don't, you don't answer that. So I had to do some marital counseling after those. <laughs> you know, when people ask me about revivals, I get very overwhelmed thinking what month and what day they fit in. I do. Lord, when am I going to get to slow down? But I got one past that. I'm just real with the Lord. Lord, you give me so much to do. When do I get to slow down? When is it not going to be this hectic? I keep thinking that's next week, next month, but here's what I've learned. It's not. So now you know what I ask the question? Lord, when am I going to go down? <laughs> he won't let me tell. He won't let me know when I'm going to die. 
I'm talking about going down in the grave. Yeah, I will. Susie, yeah. Barring the return of Jesus, I'm going to die. You wear that? I'm going to stop and preach to Susie for a minute. So are you. Okay. All right. Me and Susie had to get that straight. We are all going to go down, barring the return of Jesus. Everybody got that? That was just a little conversation between me and Susie. So here's what I'm saying to you, and I'm going to preach, and it won't take but just a few minutes to preach it, way shorter than me telling you about my week. Lord, I've got too much to do. No, you don't. You've been given a lot, so you've got to do a lot. Lord, I'm way behind. No, you're not. You're way ahead. Okay, Lord. And the Lord just quietly speaks. Blessed are the balanced. You've just got to learn to balance what I've given you. The people that have some of the greatest blessings of God are some people that's been given a lot, but they've just figured out how to balance what God has given them. The reason I told all you young people, don't quit me, if you can learn this at a young age, how far ahead are you going to be when you learn how to balance all that God's given you? I sent out a poll on FamBam yesterday and asked my three kids and wife, I'm thinking about preaching a message, blessed or the balance, and I want to know from you guys how I balance being a dad and a husband. I would like to share their responses with you, but they was terrible. <laughs> I said, just rate it from one to five, five being the best, one being the worst. And I sent back a text because there was no answers for hours. And I thought, so I sent back a text. I can handle honesty. And my little daughter was the first one to respond. Then my wife and then Trenton. And last night I said, Trey, did you get that text? He said, yeah, I'm still pondering, Dad. <laughs> I didn't get no fives. <laughs> I did get some fours. But I appreciated Trenton's. He said, I'm sure there was some frustrating times, but I never doubted your love for us. I never doubted my wife's sent." For a guy that rodeoed and had a trucking business, you never you never failed to wrestle or fight with the kids in the floor. And, and I'm just going to tell you, you didn't always feel like that. And so she said, I would probably give you a three and a half or four in the early days, but I think you've got a lot better. Maybe it's because our finances are better and maybe it's because you're older, but you probably got a five with your grandkids. <laughs> Not her. Grandkids. So here's the message. Blessed are the balanced. Young people, don't, don't miss this. To whom much is given, much is expected. God wants to bless you in a huge, huge way. Don't miss out on His blessings because you don't know how to balance things. You with me? First of all, young people, let me just say this. You've got to learn how to balance your friends. We live in a day and time where I, I see all the time newly married and younger couples. We have guys' nights out. We have gals' nights out. And so you're sitting here wondering, is that okay? And I'm going to tell you, yes, it is. The Bible says if you're going to have friends, you first must be friendly. And I think we need to have friends. 
And anybody that says to me, you don't have, well, I don't have friends. Neither did Doc Holliday, but he wasn't friendly. If you're going to have friends, you've got to first be friendly. Okay? If you don't have friends, guess who that's on? You. But when I say you've got to balance your friends, I think, and I'm not saying it just because they're my kids, but I think Trey and Reagan do as good a job at balancing friends as anybody I've ever seen. Now, a lot of you guys may not know Trey that well because you hadn't been here that long. But Trey has friends. You'll notice that Trey goes on trips with his friends. He'll have a couple of guys, they'll fly to Bentonville to eat lunch. Three of his buddies flew to Florida to a men's retreat. He'll load up with friends and he'll go on a motorcycle ride. Him and uh, Trenton and myself, we got with our friends and we had a we joined a bowling league. So I think Trey does a very good job of understanding it's okay to have friends and have some guys outings. I think he does good at it. But Reagan also does well at that. I never heard a galantine. Heard of a galantine, you get your head lopped off. But they asked me to keep the... Donna said, we're keeping the grandkids because Reagan's having galantines. I said, what's galantines? They going to chop somebody's head off over there? No, it's where the ladies come and it's the day before Valentine's. They call it galantines. So there's a bunch of young ladies and her friends coming to her house. She invited a lot of young ladies from the church. So look up here and listen to me. Balance your friends. You can have guys' nights out. You can have gal nights out. Don't do what guys shouldn't be doing. Don't do what gals shouldn't be doing. But balance that. Don't ever let your friends move in front of your family. I remember telling Trey and Trenton when it come to their friends when they was young, it's all right to have friends, but let me let you two know something. Your friends one day will be gone. You guys will always be brothers. I want you to have friends. I want you to have good friends. But those friends never are more important than your family. That was a message I taught because I wanted balance in our friends. But then secondly, young people, listen to me. It's all right to have guys and gals nights. Just don't let it get in front of the family and don't do what you shouldn't be doing as guys and gals. Then there's got to be balance when it comes to family. You know how much the Bible talks about family in Proverbs, in the book of Ephesians? And and maybe you didn't even know this, but Solomon said a three-strand cord's not easily broken. Talking about a husband and a wife and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that a three-strand cord is the strongest braid of rope you can ever make? Uh, you know, in Kef Roping World, they come out with four-strand ropes a few years ago. And, and, and I'm telling you, thank God for we're going to make ropes stronger. Because if you've ever been hit by a broken rope, it hurts. You get hit in the face, you get hit in the back. Torn retinas, I mean broken ropes. Maybe we're going to get four strands. Little did I know they broke more four strands than any three strands that had ever been broken. Why? Because the three-strand braid is the strongest braid 
Anytime you add anything past a three-cord braid, it don't strengthen it. Much to my surprise and probably to yours today, it weakens it. Did you know that? It's the way it pulls against each other. You think God knew what he's talking about when he says it's a husband and wife and Jesus? And how many families, listen to me, there's got to be a balance. You think your kid is a fourth strand and a fifth strand and a sixth strand, and before you know it, you've got a six or eight strand rope, and it's not strong, it's weak. Do you realize, parents, young parents, you've given those, that child or those children, they're not to be stranded in you and your spouse's relationship with Jesus. They're a baby strand. You are to train them and educate them, and then one day they're going to meet their spouse. And with Jesus, they're going to be that three-strand braid. And what happens in the family, we don't balance that. And I want you to listen to me very clearly, young parents. Daddies, don't try to be your kid's best friend. You're their parent. Mamas, don't try to be your kid's best friend. You're their mama. And, and I, I've said this before in counseling. Somebody said, well, I want my child to be my best friend. Let me tell you something, children, and let me tell you something, parents. You don't need to be their best friend. You can be their friend. They need another best friend. You can chew on that. You can do what you want with it. But they need another best friend. And here's what I'm telling you. It's all right for your grandparent to be your best friend. It's all right for your cousin or your aunt or your uncle. Your best friend can be in your family, but hear me out today. I just don't believe it should ever be your parent. You can be close. You can be tight. And I love what I read, and here's what will help that. If you're their parents, you can be their friend. I hope they have a best friend outside their parents. But here's what I read on Chris McDaniel's Facebook. Religion is this. I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Christianity and the gospel is this. I messed up. I've got to call dad. Let me say that again. Religion is like, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Christianity and the gospel is, I messed up. I've got to call my dad. When you are dads and moms that God called you to be, guess what? When they mess up, they're not going to have that attitude. Mom and dad's going to kill me. When you mess up, if you got the right relationship and you got balance in your family, I messed up. I got to call mom and dad. Got to be balanced past your friends and in your family. Got to be balances in your finances. How many families have been ruined chasing the almighty dollar? Have you ever thought about how many politicians and movie stars, they got a lot of money, but their family and their friends are in complete despair. Has anybody ever thought of that? Does it surprise you when it comes to finances that the Bible talks more about money than it does prayer and faith? Study it up. Because money affects prayer and faith. Where your treasure is, there's going to be your heart also. And so I look at all these people that have all these finances, all the wealth at the tips of their fingers, but I look at their family. There's very few politicians that their family's in just in complete despair. That's why I just... When I look at George Strait, 
Same wife of over 50 years. Still very humble. And a family man. When I look at somebody that's got that kind of talent and that's been given that kind of fame, God-given talent, that kind of fame from man, he's still careful. He's not conceited. His feet are still on the ground. I look at Nick Saban, wife of over 50 years. Greatest, but listen, his family is still in together. I look at people like that, and I'm in no way saying that I'm a George Strait or Nick Saban, but they, listen, they're no more blessed than I am. I'm sure there's times they felt like they had too much to do. Sure, there's times they felt like they was way behind, but they could glance at a kid. They could glance at a grandkid and they'd think, no, I'm way ahead. Because these people knew how to balance their finances. And then there's a balance in faith. When I thought about how blessed I am, I just got to balance what God gave me. I, I, list, I think about people who's got faith, but they never do the works that's supposed to happen with faith. Oh, God's going to bless me. I've got faith. Well, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm just waiting. Isn't there a balance to faith and works? If you got faith, you got works. If God tells you to dig a hole, let me tell you something. He's not just going to tell you to do it by faith. He's going to hand you a shovel. So here's what I'm telling you today. I told you it's more of a testimony. You want the blessings from God. You won't be given much. You're going to be expected much. And when it says that, that simply means you've got to learn how to balance what God gives you. So here's it wrapped up in a nutshell. I was pulling off the hill where there was a pile of ashes. And I thought about my schedule and I thought about the roller coaster of emotions. And I said, God, why? Why have you blessed me with so much? Cattle are open, family, church, sitting at the bottom of that hill in the driveway. God, why? And here's the answer as I look back up on the hill. There's just always been balance from your grandparents. My grandparents had friends, but they was never before family. They never chased the almighty dollar. As I look back at that hill, then I look down the field. There's my parents' house. Balanced. My family, my parents had friends, but they never become before the family. They never chased the almighty daughter, dollar. They couldn't chase the almighty daughter because they had two sons. But my dad hauled me around rodeoing when I was a kid. Let me tell you something. If he had wanted to put a big old bank account together... He'd have never hauled me around because he spent a lot of money doing it. You with me? As long as he had money to do it, he was going to do it with us kids. And then I just looked in that rearview mirror because there was my grandparents. They was balanced when it come to friends and family and finances. 
I looked down the hill. They was balanced when it come to friends, family, and finances. Now I'm looking in the mirror. Why, Lord, did you bless me? You've tried your best to balance it with your friends, your family, and your finances. That's why I blessed you. Now, wait a minute, God. My family ain't always been believers. So what about that fourth F? You've blessed me in a great way, but my grandpa got saved the night before he died. You've blessed me in a great way, but I got to be a part of leading my dad and mom to the Lord Jesus. Where's the faith come in? I want you all to look at me and listen to me. Sharing my heart this morning. Sorry it's so long. I look back at that hill. Yellow tape around that house. And I thought about the fights. You got 17 cousins. You got 17 grandkids. Let me tell you what happened on the hill at grandparents' house. Some fights. I remember pulling up there to show my grandpa my brand new 86 Ford. And we had Aaron in my family. Some of you might know Aaron. Let me tell you what Aaron was known in in our family. The rock-throwing biter. He had soon hit you in the head with a rock and bite a chunk out of you as anything. Now, my wife, she was from a pretty laid-back home. And she was sitting right next to me in that brand new Ford pulling up on that hill. And something I'd done made our biter and rock thrower mad that day. And when I'm back in my brand new 86 Ford off the hill, flint rocks begin to bounce off the side of it. Can I tell you, when I throwed that thing in park and jumped out and didn't even think about the rocks hitting me, I just wanted my hands on the rock throwing biter. Can I tell you, man, there were some fights on that hill. And when you got 17 grandkids, four kids, let me tell you what's going to happen in your house and on your place. Some fights. Knock down drag outs. And then as I looked back and thought about all the fights that took place on that hill, I thought about the fun. Man, I thought about the fun times we had on that hill in that pasture. I thought about them building that dining room and not taking out their glass door that stepped outside. They left the glass door there. And how's that one of the older grandkids, you get way ahead of the younger ones and then shut that glass door and watch them run into it just as fast. They couldn't see it. How fun it was watching them cousins just run into it and just short of knocking them out. And I thought about all the fun. BB pistols shooting each other in the house. As far as I know, none of our family become mass murders over that. Only one that about got murdered is me for shooting the neighbor that day. And one of my cousins says the memories are gone, and I thought, no, the memories ain't gone. The house is gone, but the memories of a home are still deep in our hearts. See, a house is never meant to last forever. You build a home and you got memories that last forever. What about that faith? You've blessed me. We ain't always. And that's when he turned my head to that pile of ashes. 
And I looked at my grandpa's bedroom. And the Lord, by way of Holy Spirit, said there's one thing that happened in that house that is eternal and forever. And you know what that was? My grandpa on his deathbed gave his life to Jesus Christ on a Monday night and departed this life on a Tuesday morning. Cowboy, you can be happy because the only thing that matters, the only thing that's going to last forever that happened in that house is when your grandpa gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. I spent a lot of years after he died wondering where he spent eternity. Thank God for one Monday night. Although he was balanced, you listening to me? With his friends, his family, and his finances, there was one thing that was going to have him out of balance forever in eternity, and that he has yet to accept Jesus Christ by faith. I'm so thankful in that pile of ashes up there on that hill there was one thing that happened in that house that's eternal and forever, and that's that my grandpa accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I'm just sharing with you from my heart today. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you a lot. And all you've got to learn to do is balance it. And when you do, you better look out because he'll put a boatload of blessings upon you. I come before you today to humbly and gratefully give you that testimony. I don't know when I'm going to get slowed down. I don't know when I'm going to get to go down. But you can rest assured until I do, I'm going to do my best to balance what God has given me. Amen? Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.